can Ukraine win this war? What would Ukrainian victory in this war look like? Why is Ukraine's accession to NATO essential? Is the West's support of Ukraine sufficient? You're listening to the podcast Explain Ukraine. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. I'm Ukrainian philosopher and journalist, chief editor of Ukraine World. In this episode, I speak to Ostap Krivdik, a Ukrainian security and defense expert, chair of the Ukrainian Strategic Initiative, Akiv Mahila Academy Think Tank, and active duty Ukrainian soldier. Explaining Ukraine is a podcast by ukraineworld.org, a website in English about Ukraine, brought to you by Internews Ukraine. You can support us at patreon.com slash ukraineworld. You can also support our humanitarian trips to the frontline areas at paypal, ukraine.resisting.gmail.com. Ostap Krivdik, thanks so much for joining this podcast. Thank you. Uh, we see this war right now going on, and uh, there is a lot of talk about the victory, how Ukraine can achieve victory. What is Ukrainian victory for you? There's a disruption in the overall understanding of what victory is like. Uh, there is a more or less clear understanding what is Ukrainian victory tactically, meaning restoring Ukrainian territorial integrity, punishing the perpetrator. But what can be done in order for this victory to be sustainable? And here, what is lacking in this discussion? There are two issues without which there will be no Ukrainian victory. First one is Ukrainian full membership in NATO. And second one is change in Russia or in post-Russia, if Russia fully collapses. And here, there is definitely firstly a lack of vision and secondly, lack of action in this matter. Why are you saying so? Because uh, the, what you're saying actually means that even if Ukraine regains its territory, there will be a second war and a third war, etc., because Russia will absolutely. try to, to take the, the, the revenge. Is that what you're saying? Yes, absolutely. Um, the question is how to make Ukraine's independence irreversible. And for the moment, uh, without the strategic security framework it does not seem to be possible. It will be just a postponing of further solution, uh, increasing the cost and prolonging the tragedy. If I tell you that the, there is a possibility of Ukrainian victory without regaining full, fully our territories, for example, uh, as Finland did, we can say, in, in the Winter War, uh, would you agree with that? Is it possible? I don't think Finland won. I think Finland preserved its independence and sovereignty, but at a great cost of staying non-aligned, of constantly looking upon the uh, confirmation from the Soviet side, even to the extent that some of the prime ministers of Finland did not take their position because uh, deep state in Finland considered them to be too anti-Sovietic. So, no, I don't think Finland really won. And I would not wish 
such a future for Ukraine as it was there. I remember my discussion with late Zbigniew Brzezinski on this matter in Washington, D.C., a year before his death. And tactically, it might be a solution. But again, the big question is for how long this solution will stand and considering that Finland paid with one-third of its territory, with most of its, its industrial potential at the time, and with a lot of refugees. Now my question is, would it, wouldn't it be fair to return Viborg Vipuri to Finland? And I, I think this question it, it does also need to be put on the agenda if we speak about what victory is like, what just international order is like. So in a way, we are looking into how do we undo Yalta conference? How do we undo the Stalin's international order and Stalin's border in Europe? That's very important, I think, because uh, as far as I see, there is very little kind of a readiness in the West to talk about the future of Russia, the de decomposition of Russia, deimperialization of Russia. There is this fear to talk about this. Would you agree? Absolutely. Um, West doesn't want war at any cost. And victory without military defeat of the perpetrator in this environment seems not viable. When the West thinks that the economic measures like sanctions can deliver... They are good as one of the tools, but they they mirror themselves towards Russia. They think that maybe they could be broken with the economic measures, but Russia is an animal of a different kind. Russia is a place which is ready to bear the pain and to bear the cost of the economic decline. Soviet Union wasn't too successful economically, but its military might was still sufficient to challenge the West. And yet, in the mid to long term, the Star Wars delivered and uh, Soviet Union decayed economically, but it took a decade. Do we have a decade? Do we as Ukraine have that decade? I don't think so. Uh, for the West, it is also a matter because during the Cold War and especially during Reagan times, Conventional forces of the West were quite strong, but as we can tell on, say, the German forces, uh, they decayed a lot during those 30 more or less peaceful years in Europe. But at the same time, do you see certain uh, certain evolution that is so-called Zeitenwende in Germany and uh, people started talking about Ukrainian victory? You we all remember the first months of the war when the discussion was that Ukraine should probably not lose, but Russia should not lose uh, too. And do you see this shift? Because what I think about these arms supplies, which are which are discussed in many ways, they are not leading to some important changes on the front line. They're not only leading to, to important changes on the front line, tactical, but they also kind of change the situation strategically because those uh, partners who supply weapons can no longer say that this is not their war. I will, uh, I will say a provocative 
think right now. I think Ukraine was embargoed in between 2014 and 2022. So in a very bizarre way, the victim was deterred from being able to defend its territorial integrity. So Ukraine was somewhat informally blacklisted from being supplied advanced weapons. And even if we look into early 2022, we see that javelins and NLOs coming were far from being artillery or tanks of what is being discussed right now. Um, so uh, the big question is whether our Western partners do see our victory in the same way as we see it. And how big is the inertia of that thinking that we should not really escalate? I mean, the West should not escalate and the West should not let Ukraine escalate. So this means that the basic thing in every conflict, the escalation management capability is given to the Russians. The nuclear deterrence capability is given to the Russians. And the West is actually not using its own deterrence capabilities. And the West has been deterring Ukraine, not Russia, in a way, and the Russia's nuclear deterrence. So the West would not be inclined to provide Ukraine, say, with the fighter jets in a way delivered. And right now we are paying a very hard price. Now, for Ukraine to restore territorial integrity, we will need a minimum of... Uh, air superiority and ground superiority. And here we speak of capabilities and here we speak of logistics. Uh, Russia's defeat is to a big extent a defeat of Russia's logistics. Does Ukraine possess proper enough logistics in order to win over the clumsy but nevertheless really mighty enemy which is say, 15-fold strong in the airspace, five to seven to eight times stronger in the field. And when we speak about other statistics, it's definitely uh, David versus Goliath. What's your response to this? Because uh, we have seen those, you know, changing the red lines, the so-called red lines in the West supplies. Uh, so there was no talk about long-range artillery, then it came. There, there was no talk about Patriot, then it came. No talk about tanks, then they came. Now there is talk about fighter jets, long-range missiles. Do you think this process is going on and, and the Western partners are changing these red lines a bit? Yes, I think so. And uh, this process is ongoing, although it is still quite slow. One of the things which is missing from the public agenda, and I do hope it is not missing from the hidden agenda, is the issue of nuke technologies being transferred to Ukraine. Here I speak about um, drone warfare, meaning the drones on water, in the air, but also on the ground. Um, and here I speak of the specific technology which changes the quality of the warfare, which is C4 ICR system. This is the system of the um, integrated combat 
management, which is happening in real time and which integrates uh, both um, sensors on the fighters on the ground, the communications umbrella, har harvesting of data from the combat zone in real time, and use of other uh, air, or, uh, integration of air, artillery, uh, special forces capabilities into one effort. So uh, this is fight smart. This diminishes the time of decision making. This makes a big uh, quantitative change in the use of force. This uh, thanks to this technology, it is possible to save many of the artillery shells because targeting becomes very precise. Uh, this is the next technological revolution in warfare. Actually, Ukraine is a laboratory for the war of the future. Uh, I am expecting artificial intellect to join this warfare very soon. I think it is already de deployed, although in small uh, quantities, and there are gossips of the Russian military AI being developed. And you know that uh, international conventions forbid uh, using uh, autonomous weapons without the man in the loop. And it's a moral and legal question, but Russia is not constrained with those things. Um, and again, we have a big question of China regarding the technology transfer and technology use and its cooperation with Russia in this regard. So uh, I will repeat, Ukraine is a laboratory for the future of the war. And that level with which Ukraine will be able to deploy this technology will define the outcome. It's like uh, the Brits deploying machine guns to the um, Anglo-Boer War in, I think it was 1903, when uh, Boers with the rifles were simply slaughtered and there were 600 casualties on the Boer side and two wounded on the British side. That's what technology does to the warfare. When you look about the future of this war, do you draw any scenarios? What are what are the possible scenarios of the development in this year? There are multiple dimensions of this war. There is political dimension, diplomatic dimension. There is purely military dimension. There is social dimension of this war. There is economic dimension of this war. And in in each of those spheres Taking the most primitive scenario, uh, making it will get better, it will stay as it is, and it will get worse, it will give you already uh, a multitude of scenarios to keep it much more primitive. For the situation to stay as it is, Ukraine would need a small increase of the Western aid, say the aid which is coming from the West right now, will keep the situation as it is. It will not provide Ukraine with a decisive victory. And I don't know if it would be enough for Ukraine to break the situation and say attack in the dimension of uh, Melitopol, Berdyansk and Mariupol and then try to destroy the Crimea bridge, which then could be a game changer on the southern front line. With East, only the decision of the West to let Ukraine strike Russian infrastructure inside Russia, inside territories of Donetsk and Luhansk oblasts, will be a game changer because Russian logistics is based on the railways. Same is about Belarus. 
actually Belarus is a potentially another front line in the direction of Rivne and Khmelnytsky nuclear power plant and an attempt to cut Ukraine from Poland. Those issues are wide, uh, widely discussed in the security circles. Um, in order for Ukraine to win, first, the supply of weapons to Ukraine must be increased a minimum to match the Russian capabilities. And if we speak attacking, usually uh, military science is saying that you have to have an advantage three to one. That's not necessarily advantage in land force. But if Ukraine wants to attack, uh, you cannot change the military science calculus. Fighting smart might work, but still we, we will need to have an advantage. And I don't see it so far. So my forecast is actually uh, until there is a major political change and major upscale of sustaining of Ukraine and helping Ukraine with indigenous production, say, of the drones. Because with a drone, and if drones are becoming cheaper, you can deliver more sometimes than with a tank. Uh, there are Ukrainian capabilities of production drones at a cost such as, say, five to $7,000 per a drone. Uh, now the cost of Ukrainian drone is $20,000 and the cost of the Western drones of the similar capabilities offered to Ukraine is around $100,000. War is economy. Ukraine now cannot bear the cost of this war. We heavily dependent on the Western aid. And here, common vision of what Ukrainian victory is and common strategy, meaning clear goals, clear ways and clear means, clear money, how to do it, will be a recipe for Ukraine's victory. Do you, do you see any possibility that the war might become a stimulus for Ukrainian economy, for Ukrainian technology? Because you mentioned the, the drone production. There is much criticism inside Ukraine that Ukraine is not really uh, paying too much attention itself into the military technologies, including drone production, the private companies which have developed the technologies but don't have the stimulus from, from the state. When, I, when we look at such countries as Israel, we see how the constant war, danger of war, was actually a stimulus for technological development. Is it possible in Ukraine? It is true that wars are usually vehicle for the technology development. Say the mm, development of space technologies were clearly driven by the Cold War. And we see that the last 30 years provided us with some breakthroughs only after Russia attacked Ukraine and America thought that it would be not wise to, to depend on Russian rockets. Um, so for, from one side, this development is happening. From another side, there's a huge question mark over the administrative capabilities of the Ukrainian state to firstly being able to assess possible partnership and secondly build and manage them. Uh, there was a funny, not funny situation in as uh, early as 2014 when there was a first attempt to build uh, 
some kind of Ukrainian drone. And the government started the drone program. And in two weeks, um, there was a suggestion that there will be a governmental program lasting two years and costing 20 million hryvnias. And then at the end, you might have a prototype. And then two commercial companies got together and in two weeks they had a prototype. So this is the gap in between the will and the capabilities of the state and the will and the capabilities of the private sector and how to match them. It is tricky. My hope is that Vitaly Deineha, who might be appointed the deputy minister of defense as of now as a person from the uh, civil society sector who had had enough experience of dealing with Ukrainian developments would be able to match the governmental capabilities and the Ukrainian newborn technologies producing a scope because war is a scope. You cannot win the war with a prototype. You have to have hundreds or thousands. Just one more example. Um, when I studied in London, um, Royal Air Force made a, a dinner for us, for the representatives of the Royal College of Defense Studies. And there was a speech about how uh, British military production was functioning in times of war. And during the speech, uh, the um, commander of the Royal Air Force mentioned that Britain was producing 53 fighting jets per day. My friends laughed. Why? Because now it would be good for producing 53 jets a year. This is the gap between the country at war and the country in peace. And again, the West is not at war. We are at war. The quantities of the weaponry we use and we need is enormous. Matching it is also one of the points which will define whether we win or not. Let's talk about the international context of this war. We talked about the West, but there is there are other countries. And uh, we see that a lot depends on China in the way whether it supports Russia, whether it keeps neutrality, whether it uh, keeps neutrality but hiddenly supports Russia. What do you see here? See, uh, speaking of China... China is good at hiding its intentions and Chinese strategic thought is good at understanding the value of alliances. If we read Sun Tzu, uh, his advice of defeating the enemy is, the, the very first advice is you have to defeat the alliances of the enemy, the second you have to defeat the plans of the enemy and then you should defeat enemy on the battlefield. Um, so, uh, in a way, as we can see it from the open source, China did not decide it yet. Uh, in my understanding, China and Russia are not friends. Russia is controlling a big chunk of lands which China considers to be historically Chinese, speaking specifically of the eastern, southeastern uh, Russia. Um uh, and Russians understand it very well. 
But at the same time, solidarity between the totalitarian states in the world is growing and we can see some real successes, say uh, the deterrence of the change of the government in Venezuela, the sustainment of the Myanmar uh, junta or breaking of uh, revolution in Belarus. So clearly none of the democratic revolutions of the last 10 years, aside of Ukraine's revolution of dignity, were on the, on the winning side. And this is a policy. This is not happening by itself. So I think uh, China will be more and more inclined to support Russia, including with the technologies. And the last decisions of Xi Jinping to switch attention of the Chinese state from the economical development to the military development speaks of the decision that was made in Beijing. Uh, China is moving into the direction of the major conflict with the West. Whether it will be military, whether it will be proxy conflict like it was during the Cold War in Vietnam, in Korea, in Angola, in some of the Latin America, we don't know. No. And Ukraine might be one of the places of, of such a proxy conflict between the US and China, in a way, if China dares to fully empower Russia in this conflict. What should the West be prepared for? Should it uh, be preparing itself for the big war in the 21st century? Should it be preparing itself for the idea that old structures of the 20th century do not work, including all old institutions, that basically United Nations, that is much of the criticism of the United Nations. But if we say that United Nations doesn't work, that means that it collapses like the League of Nations and there is no international institution uh, to to which some the countries at least you know show that they adhere to what what if we are entering the period when the international institutions collapse let me localize this issue a bit and then uh, upscale it when russia attacked ukraine it didn't simply attack territory of our country it attacked a minimum of three big global things that are the pillars of the international order. First one is inviolability of the borders, which is a big issue for Africa, which is a senior, a serious issue in Asia and in Latin America, where some of the borders are still not fully solidified. Um, and if borders can be redrawn with force, then force decides it, not the international organizations. Second thing which Russia attacked is nuclear non-proliferation. Ukraine has voluntarily given, given up the third biggest nuclear arsenal. And right now, if Ukraine is not saved, if Ukraine is not winning, then it is only nuclear weapons that can guarantee the country at least a chance to preserve its territorial integrity. And the third thing which was attacked, and it is a bit less spoken about it, but it's extremely important. It's the international maritime law. Russia has deployed maritime blockade over Ukraine. If Russia can do it with impunity, if Russian ships still can leave the Baltic Sea, if Russian Pacific trade fleet still can do trade, it means that force is back. It means that China can block the Malacca Strait, China can block South China Sea, 90% of global trade are going via the sea. 
the whole uh, Belt and Road Initiative is not about commerce. Its maximum capacity is 10% of the global trade, which is not enough. And global trade is based on the freedom of trade in high seas. If it is broken, and it is being broken right now, uh, Persian Gulf will be closed one day. So international trade will collapse. And export-oriented economies such as US, UK, Germany, but China as well, their economies will collapse because of that. So uh, Russia's attack on Ukraine is not a regional conflict. It not, is not a bilateral conflict. It is an exposure of the failure of the global institutions. And yes, UN is failing. The test... We remember that League of Nations excluded Nazi Germany and then Soviet Union because of the aggressions. It was the time when League of Nations was already failing and it brought us into the Second World War. Now collapse of the UN is actually again bringing us to something similar. And yes, West is getting ready. China is getting ready. US is getting ready. In a way... Uh, Russian-Ukrainian war is a great excuse for American military industry to revive itself, to bring, again, an industrial scope to the war for the U.S. to be ready for that major conflict in a couple of years. Same with China, actually. China is also not ready for a full-scope conflict as of now. So coming back to international institutions, there is a discussion in Ukraine that uh, we should, well, international community should kick Russia out of the Security Council. And imagine if we succeed in this. And for this, we need, for example, the vote of China, the vote of so many members of the General Assembly. But imagine there is a success in this. Then we can assume that Russia quits the United Nations altogether and United Nations collapse, because other countries can quit it as well and, and form kind of a, another alliance. So is it a good scenario, what Ukraine is trying to achieve? I think it's still a good scenario. Uh, membership in the UN means adhering to the norms, and the violation must be punished. Iraq paid an enormous price for attacking Kuwait. Russia did not pay the price for attacking Georgia in 2008, and none of it was there regarding Abkhazia and Transnistria. So multiple and multiple violations were impugned. The big question here is, though, um, what is the future of Russia? And in my understanding, Russia as of now is Soviet Union, which did not fully collapse and wants to recollect itself again. It has to collapse as the empire of which it is now. The colonies of modern Russia, such as Caucasus, but also Tuva, Tatarstan, must leave and we, the Ukrainians, must help those captive nations to regain their freedom. 
this is our historical mission to end this empire. We know that some of the Ukrainians played a great role under Peter I to shape the concept of Russian empire as it was. And it is historical responsibility for us to end this empire. And if Russia fails here militarily, the process similar to 1917 might start inside Russia. It will not be easy. It will not be good. And my worry is that in the West, chicken cave thinking is prevailing. We have to preserve the Soviet Union. We have to dream of some democratic new Gorbachev in Russia. And then we will support it. Oh, no, you Ukrainians, don't you dare to leave the Soviet Union. So here, an opposite thinking must there be. Uh, democracy should reverse the course of autocracies, shaping empires, and genociding the indigenous people. Russia, in its scope, must be the last empire of the world to collapse and to become something like Latin America, a collection of 20, 30 independent states, which, like Latin America, might speak the same Spanish language, but might follow a completely different destiny. Is there a policy in the West regarding such a solution? Is there a policy to help build the regional elites, to reach out to them, to build uh, economic ties, to see that future? I think there is a lot of fear that China will simply grab of what is left after Russia, and that might be one of the reasons why China is reluctant to help Russia at the scope. China might expect Russia to fail, and then to take it. So the Ukrainian-Chinese border will be next to Kharkiv. This is also one of the scenarios, and I wonder if our Western partners want to avoid this scenario or not. You said that there is a lack of policy with regard to the imperialization of Russia, but that doesn't mean that it won't happen because there was Absolutely. also a lack of policy in the imperializing Soviet Union, as we know, and you mentioned Chicken Kiev speech by George Bush, but it d didn't, uh, didn't help. And actually, why Soviet Union collapsed? Because somebody inside Soviet Union was... Uh, so willing to preserve it. I mean, GKCP and this coup d'etat, which actually accelerated the collapse. So maybe we, uh, oh, we are now witnessing the same process, so we don't know. Because I do think that uh, Russia is re really living through the last stages of, of its imperialism. And you refer to these Ukrainian constructors of the Russian Empire. There is a joke in Ukraine that Ukrainians gave a birth to Russia, but then they will also accompany its funeral. But let me ask a provocative question as well. You hinted on it already. In the, in the beginning of our conversation, you said that the only uh, thing that preserves Ukraine's sustainable victory, that the war will not be repeated, and this is something that everybody is saying, that the key goal is not only the victory, but the prevention of the future war, is that Ukraine joins NATO. But there is another, another factor. It's coming back of Ukraine to the nuclear status. Do you think it's realistic? And what is what is best? Because, I mean, there are so many obstacles of Ukraine joining NATO. Maybe we should uh, persuade our Western colleagues that Ukraine should regain its nuclear status. 
Regarding possible uh, nuclear status for Ukraine, I would strongly recommend that you talk to Volodymyr Horbulin, the person who was in charge of the talks between Ukraine, US, UK and Russia regarding Ukraine giving up nuclear weapons. The problem at the time was both political and technological. Ukraine did not have technological capability to manage the warheads. We possessed state-of-the-art uh, capability in rockets, but we did not possess, and I don't think we do as of now possess, the knowledge and the industrial capabilities regarding the production of nuclear warheads. The political side of Ukraine regaining nuclear weapons is even more sensitive and more tough. If you look into the American national uh, security strategy, you will clearly see that one of the pillars of the Americas national security is nuclear non-proliferation. So none of the states in the world should acquire nuclear weapons, including Ukraine. The compromise here, as I see, is Ukraine joining NATO and American bases with the nuclear weapons to be stationed in Ukraine. That's what I would like to see. To the same extent the uh, US is doing it in uh, uh, South Korea, in Japan, in uh, Germany. But, I so, think but South Korea, Japan are linked with bilateral agreements with the United States, not uh, not our members of NATO. Maybe this is the goal. Maybe this is the way to um, go through bilateral uh, guarantees. As advisor to the speaker, I was one of those who advocated for Ukraine asking for major non-NATO ally status. But there is no political will in the U.S. so far to provide to provide Ukraine with this status. Uh, major non-NATO ally is a... Mm, it's a multi-shaped construction. So, uh, U.S. has MNNA status with, I think, 19 nations in the world. And each MNNA means different things. So, it could be shaped in a different way. And uh, an excuse for this is, hey, Ukraine, you want to be a NATO member, right? Why MNNA? If you are non-NATO ally, then you are out of NATO, isn't it? But it's heavily political. I myself consider uh, MNNA status to be the first step for Ukraine to become a future NATO member. So now, urgently, in a firefighting mode, we find a framework which solidifies Ukraine's defense posture. But here again, U.S. does not want to be at war with Russia. So managing this escalation, escalation from the U.S. side would require the U.S. to clearly pick the level of their engagement. For Russia, I think it's more than clear that America is a site of this war. U.S., say, blocking uh, supplying of the military jets to Ukraine, thinks that in a way they diminish the escalation in this way. But Russia sees it as an opportunity and as a success of their nuclear deterrence. Let's talk about the internal situation of Ukraine. Maybe one of my last questions, and then there will be the, the most last question. Uh, when you look at the Ukraine internally, there are positive things and there are negative things. 
I think positive thing is, of course, we have consolidation of the nation. We have so many uh, volunteers. Uh, we have uh, the whole society working for the army. On the negative side, we have destroyed economy and we have tendencies of increasing, well, deficit of democracy, I would say, deficit of uh, freedom of speech uh, and of political process. And uh, there are still questions of the independent judiciary and, for example, of Ukrainian military industry, as we discussed already. What do you think? What, what do you say as the, as the key positive things and key negative things? I fully agree with you that a revival of Ukraine society, and as my friends are saying, armed civil society, because civil society usually is considered to be something pacifistic. No, it is an armed civil society. Its emergence, its uh, robustness, and its ability to tackle the burning issues, including the issues at the front line, is impressing. A couple of weeks ago, I was able to visit one of the frontline units, which, according to the principles, to the norms, should not have had its own artillery. They found some 1940-made artillery piece, put it on a second-hand truck, and enabled it with a computer... Um, with a computer facilitating system. Uh, a very uh, custom-made piece of armory turned out to be there, very cheap and very efficient. And that's how Ukrainian army is working. And this is impressive. Uh, on the negative side, let me point out to another important dimension. Uh, the time of war centralized Ukrainian government once again. Decentralization was a very important anti-corruption reform and very important reform of bringing capabilities to the local level. Right now, the military administrations are simply taking the uh, ruling from the local councils, from the mayors. And if we speak about Ukraine's reconstruction... Local governments are not invited into the discussion. And it's a huge problem, I think. We shall look into Afghanistan. Massive corruption and massive inefficiency was because there was no decentralization, because there was no local say and no local oversight of that process. And right now, when we discuss Ukraine's reconstruction, the understanding of the role of Ukrainian democracy in it the role of local democracy in it, might be extremely damaging for Ukraine. So democratic resilience in times of super centralization, including the single broadcasting, is essential. Ukraine has to stay as a democracy. We will win only if we are a democracy. Yeah, I fully agree with you. And maybe the last question, the most difficult one, how can Ukraine win this war? This conflict is of a global nature. Only global response to global challenge of Russia will bring the victory. Ukraine can survive alone, but Ukraine cannot win alone. So only the broad alliance, only goodwill of the United States, European Union, Japan, Australia, South Korea, other our partners will help us win. 
Thank you, Ostap. We had Ostap Krivdik, chair of the Ukrainian strategic initiative Akiv Mahila Academy think tank and a Ukrainian soldier. Thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you. This was a podcast explaining Ukraine by ukraineworld.org. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. I'm chief editor of Ukraine World. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and don't forget to support us at patreon.com slash ukraineworld. You can also support our volunteer trips to the front line at paypal ukraine.resisting.gmail.com. Thank you for listening. Stay with us and stand with Ukraine.